Rethinking, Rethinking Heroes. Life After the Military. I've spent a decade taking a bite out of conspiracy theories, unraveling urban legends, and grappling with worldwide top secret issues. I've even racked up some of their awards. Wow, I mean, first of all, what a question. Journalism is about telling the truth, all while ferreting out the bottom line. I'm a Harrison Hellraiser. Uh-oh. With me, Carrie Harrison, as your guide. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Carrie Harrison. And it is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Carrie Harrison with you. It is uh, a tough time for sure. We spent, what, years in the past talking about theoretics, uh, looking at potential wars or the 131 active battles going on. But never have we had CNNs and Foxes and New York Times is so completely focused on one single issue. And that's because it's an important issue. It says a lot about who we are, where we stand, what we believe, what we know, what we don't know. And that's probably more to the point. As you know, I was in Switzerland a couple of weeks ago and I was doing a uh, some volunteer work thanks to KPFK and our uh, visibility across the world at this point, which is another good reason to support any independent station because we're making a difference. So I was there hosting their live uh, International Day of World Peace on September 21st, and it was choirs singing from all over the world, cobbled together one after the other. And it was a complicated mission to be sure, and it was a great success. And it was people singing for peace, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people from New Zealand to wherever, not knowing that mere weeks later, we would be where we are today in something so horrific, so horrifying. We were going to go live to the Gaza Strip and to a journalist on the ground there. His name is Rafat Alir. He WhatsApp me yesterday at 1138 in the morning and said, quote, they just bombed our building without warning. We had to evacuate. And that was the last I heard from him. Since then, we've tried calling multiple times using telephones and WhatsApp and have regrettably heard nothing back from him. Nothing at all. As of today, one million Palestinians have been displaced. There are miles of rubble and crumbled rock where apartment buildings used to stand. CNN and other establishment media have done a terrific job in painting the position that Israel is experiencing. But... They've all fallen short in bothering to find out who, what, and why from the opposition or those neutrally involved even, looking also to seek those answers. Uh, Mr. Alarir is the co-editor of the Gaza Unsilenced and his writings have appeared in the New York Times. And he's a guy who, if we were able to speak with him, would be talking about the lack of coverage of the devastation in Gaza by Israel, even by relief organizations. Many relief organizations are actually allowed to appear or exist always at the pleasure of the dominating government. This is why we have runways full of airplanes, with medical supplies incapable of getting that stuff transferred, because it's whatever government is in charge opens the doors, closes the doors. Well, 
Mr. Alarir had uh, intended to provide evidence that when 12 United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine refugees workers were killed by Israel, the group didn't refer to Israel as having killed them. As with anybody in that region uh, or on either side, we hope that he's still alive and that smarter minds will please find a ceasefire to the benefit of millions of people. Again, as of now, our Rethinking Heroes guest reporter in the Gaza Strip is missing for 24 hours. With that in mind, we have an unusual lineup to address some of those obvious issues and offer an alternative glimpse into what is unfolding in Dante's seventh level of hell over there. We might remember the ominous post by Donald Trump on the recent Rosh Hashanah New Year holiday. And here's what he said, quote, just a quick reminder for liberal Jews who voted to destroy America and Israel because you believed false narratives. Let's hope you learn from your mistakes and have made better choices moving forward. Happy New Year. There's no commentary needed there. President Biden's Rosh Hashanah phone message from the White House to American rabbis included a pledge to protect Israel. Since he said this in a purely religious setting, this opens a can of worms in which the last of the Quakers in San Francisco would also anticipate a White House protection. But this is where we start to appreciate well-oiled politics. In both cases, Jewish Americans are referred to as possessing some sort of uh, uh, second nationality, Israeli in spirit, if you will. It would be as if the president of the United States said that all Episcopalians are pining for King Charles III, who's who under British law is known as the supreme governor of the Church of England. It would be, uh, you know, all of us pining for uh, us, uh, raised Episcopalian by himself, pining for his direction. It would invite belly laughs and guffaws from here and, and sneers and snorts, because it's been over 300 years since the 13 colonies took spiritual direction from London. So what else might be a play, really? We know that civilians in that region and here in the United States are not asked to vote. They're not asked to participate in how uh, this thing is framed. This argument is framed. The news stories are framed. Probably most people would immediately say, cease fire. Figure this thing out. But there is no way to hear the voices of most people. All we hear from are experts, military experts, defense experts, intelligence experts, 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 experts on the payroll of someone. Now, while the news networks are saturated with the horrors visited upon Israel, Palestinians are generally characterized as some sort of obscure barnyard animals surrounding the modern e-bikes and palm trees well out of their reach. This is the sort of attitude we might expect in Mississippi or Alabama, since we think of Israel as more of a first world, tech savvy, sophisticated entity. Yet, we're told Israel has demanded that 1.1 million Palestinians leave their homes. Human rights lawyer Noura Erekat writes, Israel plans to flatten Gaza. She says this is beyond comprehension and there, there's no irony in the name of battling, quote, barbarism. Israel, with the backing of the U.S. and most European capitals, will unleash what she calls a genocidal campaign. Powerful and strong words. The Palestinian Center for Human Rights reports the population is being urged by means of random texts to evacuate their homes. Uh, our on-the-ground reporter, who's now missing for 24 hours, was not given such a text, even random just bombed and fled. 
this heightens fear, these random texts, these unannounced bombings uh, creates terror and panic among the civilian population while warplanes hover constantly. According to the Palestinian Ministry of Health, between the 7th of October, as of 3 o'clock, 560 Palestinians were killed, 2,900 were injured, hundreds of homes been destroyed, resulting in the displacement of thousands of civilians. We now know that number is quadrupled. Water, electricity supplies continue to be cut off, and as we all know, people are now drinking out of their toilets. Does that make things better when people have to drink out of toilets? No. It just intensifies uh, resentment. John Quigley, professor emeritus of international law at Ohio State University, says the Israeli Defense Force knows that its demand on Gazans to leave is asking them to do the impossible. This demand is effectively a statement of intent to kill in the thousands. Meanwhile, none of this is occurring in a vacuum. Hezbollah's decision to intervene may depend on developments in Gaza. People are wondering if Israel may be using this opportunity to attempt a large purging of Gaza, where approximately two million Palestinians reside. Hamas, in its equally hardline way, seems to want to make Israel realize that Israel can no longer act with impunity in terms of land seizures and settlement construction and the blockade of Gaza, something you've been hearing earlier uh, all day long, as a matter of fact, here on this station. Israel says it must, quote, clean the area as if it's filled with the dirt of some undesirable others. This is quite a echo of some 80 years ago in Europe. I spent much of the summer visiting uh, these camps, which have been hidden, buried. The German government has really opened up, thanks to younger generations, to reveal and show history as it actually came out. And much of this, if you've been to the camps, if you've actually made the effort to go see this stuff, this will affect you what's going on in ways uh, different from just storytelling and a data feed on Facebook. It's real stuff. And uh, people are devastated on both sides, to be sure. How all this shakes out is yet to be determined, right? It could be that Israel may be forced to review its methods of occupation and control. If you're going to occupy and control, you can't have those you occupy reduced to drinking water out of their toilets without thinking there's not going to be an endless insurrection. Coming up later, we're going to speak to the actual man who helped launch the first Palestinian uprising against the Israeli occupation back in 1968, an uprising famously known as the Intifada. And these voices are not featured or broadcast pretty much anywhere in the U.S. And so history to many of us has a lot of blank spots while CNN is busy selling business class airline tickets during its thrilling war reportage. So here on Rethinking Heroes, we're going to feature the voices of the brave, the reality checkers, the eyewitnesses often purposely overlooked. Carrie Harrison here with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. We're doing a special edition to uh, offer some balance between the reportage that you see on the TV set, even here on the radio, unless you're listening to BBC, which offers a slightly different perspective. And if you're listening to Deutsche Welle, which is the German network, you're hearing uh, an even uh, maybe a better perspective. Why? Because after World War II, and then we could talk about the Nuremberg trials forever and how they actually overlap with this. But the Germans are required to have have a effectively a neutral network that is not impeded, impaired, uh, 
violated in any way by government or corporation. That was called propaganda back in World War II. So the Germans are, I mean, it's funny, we look to former Nazis as now uh, truth tellers. <laughs> Let's just say they have a more sober approach than we do here in the United States, because here you get fired. You just get fired for saying something that they can't sell a car commercial associated with, or it upsets the owner or something like that. And our free speech is such a an embedded design. My ancestors who signed the Declaration of Independence against King George and helped frame the Constitution, they meant it for real. But I don't think they ever envisioned such a commercial appetite where you self-censor, you remove your own freedom of speech so that you can keep your gig or get a gig. Uh, it's always been that way throughout Earth. I mean, it's being social is like that at a cocktail party. You can't just say what you want. You won't get reinvited. Uh, but the you know First Amendment was really to protect the press to be able to do its job and inform the public. And now it doesn't do its job. It purposely does not inform the public so that it can keep its job. And uh, that's an ongoing problem. We have abundant clarity on the position of Israel from the leadership of Israel, including allies like the United States and most of Europe. It's easy to understand and assess their position and feelings toward this horrible unfolding war. And many people across the world are asking what suddenly happened that there was this sudden eruption from Palestine. Prime Minister Netanyahu says, well, we didn't want this war. Daniel Levy, president of the U.S. Middle East Project and former Israeli negotiator and advisor to the office of Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak, said one trembles. This is a quote. One trembles at what is happening in Gaza. This is precisely what got us here. History didn't begin three days ago. Who are these 2.2 million inhabitants of Gaza? Why are 70 percent of them refugees? We would do well to remember that Israel agreed to the conditions it undertook in, in its uh, 1949 admission to the United Nations. It agreed that, quote, refugees wishing to return to their homes and live at peace with their neighbors should be permitted to do so at the earliest practicable date. Well, it's now 75 years later. We're seeing what happens when those directions got lost in some filing cabinet somewhere and the Gaza Strip has long become a ghetto of suffering and now a source of terror from both sides. Everyone will agree on that point. We're now going to speak to uh, a man who helped launch the first Palestinian uprising against the Israeli occupation back in 1968, an uprising famously known as the Intifada. His name is Mubarak Awad, a Palestinian-American advocate of nonviolence who was deported from Israel after an eight-month fight with the government to remain in East Jerusalem, where he was actually born. Mubarak Awad is president of Nonviolent Interna Nonviolence International and says cutting off food, water and fuel is collective punishment on an industrial genocide, uh, genocidal scale and must be reversed. Ethnic cleansing in which Palestinians are expelled to Egypt or anywhere would be a crime against humanity. You'll remember I mentioned the Nuremberg trials earlier. He further says we are seeing the growth of Jewish pogroms on the West Bank and now genocidal practices toward Gaza have begun. Who would have thought a Jewish state would even contemplate these kind of things and that the president of the U.S. Uh, should not just be parroting the words of the Israelis, such as misreporting that Hamas was cutting off babies heads. 
Mubarak Awad asks, how can President Biden give unconditional support to Israeli leaders who are calling regular Palestinians animals and threatening to do whatever they want? Mubarak Awad, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be with you. Uh, I have never actually imagined I would speak to the guy who was involved in the very first call it insurrection or, or demonstration or a rising against Israel back in 1968. And then they kicked you out for doing what you did. Can you review that a little bit for maybe some of our younger listeners who are listening uh, on a stream and not on the radio for whom this is like a foreign object in history? Uh, I am I am a psychologist. I am interested uh, in dealing with children and their family finding uh, ways of uh, making life in a community better for those who have been in conflict or for those who have been abused and neglected. So that's uh, after my finishing my education in the United States, I went back home and I created the Palestinian Counseling Center to work with children whose parents are in prison or work with families and try to understand that trauma is an important part of the society which have been under occupation. Uh, And then I felt uh, unease because uh, people are not interested in counseling or interested in psychology. They really are interested in the whole political idea. We are under occupation, and we have to get rid of this occupation. It has been going for so many years, and it's not going away. And slowly, slowly, we are losing our land. We are losing uh, our businesses. We are losing our trees. Even olive trees are being taken from us. And we cannot go from one place to another. And being a person that my father was killed when I was five years old, and all my family were have to stand on the wall to be shot if we don't leave our house in Jerusalem. So we left our house without anything, and we went uh, to the old city of Jerusalem. But my mother was so strong, and she said, don't revenge the death of your father. The people who killed your father, they don't know that they make me a widow and we have seven children. So you have to forgive. You have to have an understanding of forgiveness. And uh, so don't carry that with you. And I felt when I was young, very upset with what's going on because I was My mother couldn't raise me or raise my brothers and sisters, and we were put in orphanages. And in the orphanage, it's not a good life for a young man to be in an orphanage. But uh, we finished school in an orphanage, and there is always an anger in you. Uh, Then I decided that Palestinians can get rid of occupation. And uh, it's not through the armed struggle. 
through a non-violence means. That we have to do it like what in South Africa did, getting rid of apartheid. We have to do it like even Gandhi in India, getting rid of the British through non-violence. To do it like Martin Luther King, and uh, all the slaves in the United States have equal right now. Not completely, but still it's a process that they are reaching to equality. And we could do it. We could do it. And I was able to say that we are Palestinians. We are under occupation because we choose to be under, under occupation. If we choose not to be under occupation, we have to resist on a daily basis. We have to make life miserable for those who occupy us. They cannot make money occupying us. And it's wrong to have people under some occupation from people came from Poland, from United States, who happen to be Jews, but they suffer a lot in Europe. And their suffering have nothing to do with us. Yet all that suffering now became on our shoulder and they became so much into a revengeful that they feel that we as Palestinians are going to do what the Germans did to them. So they hold in their mind that now we are the enemy. And we are not the enemy. We own the land. The land were taken from us. We became refugees. And if you look at Gaza, those people in Gaza, not they are now moving from one place to another. They have been refugees from 1948. And another time now they have to move. And another time they have to move. So the thing we have find out that the Israeli wouldn't accept us as equal with them. They have a concept of that. They are the chosen people of God and we are the devil. And that's, that idea is wrong. You know, God is not person that, uh, or, or an identity say, I, these are my children, those are not my children. If you believe in Christianity, Judaism, Islam, that we are equal under God. And we have the same faith and from Abraham that the three religions, they believe in the same God. So on a religious basis, created a problem for us. The Christian community, even in the United States, support so much of Israel that they don't see us as Christian Palestinians. And I am one of the Christian Palestinians. They don't even recognize, want to recognize us as Palestinians. So that's one part. And I felt that a lot of young people, they want to fight, okay? Want to kill, want to destroy. And that did not help. So I started the Palestinian Center for the Study of Nonviolence to teach them that Islam is a nonviolent religion, that Christianity is a nonviolent religion, and that Judaism is a nonviolent re religion, that we have to work together and live together and make life easy for all of us. That nobody is I'm just gonna, than the I'm other. Just gonna, 
I, I need to jump in for a second just to reintroduce you because people get in and out of their cars uh, on the radio side of things, maybe not the podcast side, but on the radio side. So I'm just going to reintroduce you. We're talking to Mubarak Awad, a Palestinian-American advocate of nonviolence who was deported from Israel after an eight-month fight with the government to remain in East Jerusalem where he was born. He happens to be the man who helped launch the first Palestinian uprising against the Israeli occupation back in 1968, an uprising famously known as the Intifada. So we're having a, a direct conversation with him and really learning uh, much of the history and the rationale behind why people think the way they do. And I appreciate the subtext of trauma, trauma, trauma. Uh, we all have some level of trauma. And if we're honest, we see how it informs and motivates us to do things that we might regret at another time. And I can see uh, there's a, a statement, you being a psychologist and such, that hurt people hurt people. And it just really is truly a fact. I also find it interesting that when the Romans were occupying Israel forever ago and didn't let the Israelis leave or, you know, Palestine as it was then, and everyone had to stick around at some point, people started to convert to Islam. So in many ways, Palestinians, whether you're Christian or this or that, everyone sort of comes from the same DNA, but it's just like a costume change. And now you're the enemy, but you're almost the same people, right? We are, we are the same people. We are the same people. And many uh, Jews became Muslims, many Christians became Muslim, and many Muslims became Jews, and many Muslims became Christians. So, so that, that, that's mixed. Okay? But after, after 48, things became more clearer that I'm a Jew, I'm a chosen person, I have the right for this, and and you don't have the right for that. And uh, we, we have to make it very clear to the Israelis that we don't want occupation. We don't, you cannot continue occupying us. You know, all the countries in the world who have been occupied by Turkey, by other countries, they got their freedom. The British, the French, the, uh, everybody got their freedom. And you come after that, you want to occupy us and say, this is our right and this is our home. And I was telling the Palestinian, okay, let's make life difficult. We should not pay any taxes to the Israeli. We should uh, accept our language, which is Arabic. And if the Israelis send you a bill for water or for electricity in Hebrew, don't accept it, reject it, send it to them. And uh, the Israelis start uprooting olive trees, uprooting all those vegetable trees so that people would not live on the lands. So we start planting olive trees all over. And we were just saying that what you are doing is wrong. And confronting not only the Israeli uh, government, but the Israeli a non-profit organization, Israeli Knesset, Israeli uh, people in school. And we say, hey, even in a synagogue, I used to go to the synagogue and say, you cannot worship God and occupy us. There is something wrong with you if you do that. You have to let our Palestinian people go. You, you cannot continue just build arms and build arms and build arms 
and becoming so much powerful that even you sold arms to the whole world, yet you, do, you are not free if we are not free as Palestinians. And the same, with, the same thing with Gaza. They could destroy Gaza. They could destroy Hamas or Palestinians. They are not coming from somewhere for aliens. They are Palestinian, and they are politically, they have a political party, which is Hamas, but not everybody in Gaza is Hamas. Like not everybody in the United States is uh, one of the parties, Democrat or Republican. We have many parties, and Israel have many parties, yet they wouldn't accept Hamas to be a Palestinian party, okay? And people voted for Hamas, and Hamas became very clear that they want to get rid of Israelis, okay? And, to and that was, by the way, considered one of the uh, freest and openest elections in democracy, demonstrating true democracy when Hamas won. And that really inflamed everyone because it was the wrong yeah. winner. Yeah, and, and uh, th th this is irony. And the irony is now with the, our president, George Bush, when he says that uh, we support uh, Ukraine. Well, but he is against Russia to take land from Ukraine. Yet, when it comes to the Palestinian and Israeli, he is for the Israeli to take land of the Palestinian, and he supports the Israelis. So in the Middle East, they don't understand that. They have difficulty understand what kind of a president. He have two, two ways of thinking, and one of them is He's against occupation, he's against taking land, but he is giving money and weapons for more than 75 years to strengthen Israel, rather than to give that a lot of billions of dollars to make peace with the Palestinian, peace with the Arabs. And that's where the difficulty became very much that the Israeli felt I am too radical for them, I am opposing uh, the Israeli concept of occupation, and uh, they felt I am the most dangerous person in Israel. So I went to the high court after being in prison several times, and then uh, by the Supreme Court and by the prime minister, they say he should get out of the country because I'm nonviolence, because I fight for my rights through nonviolence means. And that's upset a lot of people who, how come people like you, they you should be there to tell the Palestinian, I met with Hamas, I met with the, the PLO, with Arafat, and talk about nonviolence with all of them. I wasn't afraid of speaking about nonviolence because I believe in it. I still believe that nonviolence would work between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Well, I hope it certainly plays out that way. And regrettably, we're out of time. Um, but I hear a lot of hope in your voice and I hear a lot of rationality and logic. And 
that is a soothing tonic in a whirlwind of madness. I appreciate talking to you, uh, Mubarak Awad, Palestinian-American advocate of nonviolence, deported from Israel after an eight-month fight with the government to remain in East Jerusalem, where he happened to have been born. He's president of Nonviolence International, says uh, cutting off food water is collective punishment on an industrial genocidal scale. Uh, he also was the man who helped launch the first Palestinian uprising against the Israeli occupation back in 1968, famously known as the Intifada. And I appreciate your laying this out for us today here on Rethinking Heroes. Uh, I will very likely ask to have you back on because this is probably not going to go away in the next week or two. Uh, and I appreciate your having spent time with us today, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank and, you. And we are interested in peace. Every, the world interested in peace and let's build peace rather than building war. Thank you. Okay. Well said. And that would have been the final question is they say that you could, you don't want peace, but everyone really wants peace. At the end of the day, if you take a hundred people in a room and say, what do you really want? They want to have a good education for their children. They want clean water, clean air to breathe, uh, you know, maybe some comfort, a little Netflix, some nice food, maybe some romance, some love. That's really what they want. The rest of it, we don't ever get to vote for these kind of wars and we don't ever get to vote for the people, the deciders when they make those decisions. We may vote to put them in, but we're not included at that point when those decisions are made. And it's generally the ebb and flow of petrol dollars. It's uh, occupation. It's real estate grabs. It's the same old stuff we saw from Alexander the Great, just done in modern times. Listen, well, it's still legal. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com If you're a diabetic, we have great news. You can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you use insulin or have had hypoglycemic events, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-413-6441. 800-413-6441. That's 800-413-6441. Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more, you're making the same or less money. So, what do you do? You rack up credit card debt, that's what you do. It's not your fault, it's the economy. And guess what? If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the zero debt. They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-463-2913. 800-463-2913. 800-463-2913. That's 800-463-2913. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. So we're going to turn in just a moment. I just want to make sure that our next guest is there. 
Yes, yes. Very good. We're going to turn to Aaron Kudnani, the author of What is Anti-Racism and the Muslims Are Coming. Mr. Kudnani points out the contradiction on Israel's history as a state founded by victims of racism that itself is now being observed more widely as a racist apartheid state. He argues uh, that Israel has moved away from its liberal pretenses and is now openly engaged in actions that could be seen as a form of genocide against Palestinians. He suggests that this has led to a weakening of free speech rights for supporters of Palestine in various countries and the increase in anti-Muslim sentiment, which we have seen here on U.S. soil many times now in just the past week. There have been reports of censorship and restrictions on pro-Palestinian speech and a rise in anti-Muslim racism in various places, including here in the United States and across Europe. Sources regarding censorship include reports from The Cradle, The Guardian, Deutsche Welle, CNN, The Middle Eastern Eye, Middle East Eye rather, and reports on anti-Muslim racism can be found in The Intercept and even The New York Times. I say even The New York Times because they are a champion of one side and one side only. So let me introduce now our own Kudnani, who has written for The Nation, The Guardian, The Washington Post, Vice, and The Intercept. He's former editor of the journal Race and Class and holds a PhD from London Metropolitan University. He's been a scholar in residence at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, New York Public Library. And Aaron Kudnani, I'd like to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. We're glad to have you here uh, under these conditions. It'd be great just to have an intellectual, philosophical visit, but regrettably, the, these are the times that uh, warrant this kind of invitation. Um, let me ask you first, what is your perspective on the current state of Israel and its treatment of Palestinians? Well, um, you know, I think the uh, Israeli leadership has, has been given uh, more or less a, a kind of carte blanche by um sponsors here in the all the major western powers um uh all, all the major media organizations in the west have have um uh, said that israel can can more or less do what it would like to and that means that we are seeing um you know the violation of, of very large numbers of people in in gaza um i don't think israel has a detailed plan of where it's going with this um which makes it perhaps even even more terrifying um uh and and we hope that um all the all the protests that are going on around the world and all the uh the shifting opinion around the world in support of the palestinians might might still provide some kind of check on on what um the people in in israel seem hell-bent on carrying out Aaron Kunani, what is the context behind Israeli minister, the Israeli uh, prime minister seeking the arrest of journalists who, quote, harm national morale, as highlighted in Middle Eastern Eye? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the, the context essentially is that they're losing the argument, right? Like, I think for, for a long time, they they could have confidence that within Israel um, itself and within um, uh, countries like the United States that, that you know, their narrative would prevail. Uh, but more and more over the last decade, what we've seen is um, they're losing the argument, right? If we have a, if we have a, the freedom to debate this issue, um, we will, we will win because um, the injustice is clear um, of a, of a decades long military occupation. Um, so what they're doing 
increasingly is is relying on the coercive power of um, of governments to to silence the pro-Palestinian side of, of the argument um, because they can't win it in a in a fair debate. Um, so what we're seeing in Israel is is um, you know large numbers of uh, for um, posting pro-Palestinian um, messaging on social media. We're seeing journalists being being silenced. Um, you know in in France and in Germany, uh, pro-Palestinian demonstrations have been just completely banned in those countries. Uh, they're still going on, but being made illegal. Uh, the Home Secretary in Britain has talked about how the wearing of a Palestinian scarf or a, or a Palis- waving a Palestinian flag could count a, as a criminal offence. Um, uh, here in the United States, you know, we know that, um, uh, um, you know, who Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp have been applying censorship to um, stuff that people post on there. Uh, and, and, and of course, we have, you know, organizations like the New York Times, the CNN, uh, the BBC, um, uh, that, you know, highly favorable to Israel in their coverage as um, uh, potentially goes out a genocidal campaign in Gaza. We're talking right now to Aaron Kudnani, who has written for The Nation, The Guardian, The Washington Post, Vice. And The Intercept, former editor of the journal Race and Class, holds a Ph.D. from London Metropolitan University, scholar and residence at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, New York Public Library. And we're talking about uh, the other side, the other side that is not amply covered. As we all know, this is not a statement that's even debatable. Uh, If you've turned on the TV set, you are basically hearing uh, left speaker only or right speaker only, and you're not hearing the stereophonic sound of an equally balanced argument. That's why we're doing this today, because our boots on the ground reporter is now missing for 24 hours, unreachable, uncontactable. We don't know how he's doing at all. So it's important to bring in these voices that we wouldn't otherwise hear. Uh, Mr. Kundani, let me ask you the uh, or let me just rephrase this. In, the, in America, our First Amendment, not the 14th, not the 18th, not the 23rd, is freedom of speech, because when we were subjects of the King of England, property of the King of England, we couldn't say what we wanted because it was inconvenient to the king. So I'm wondering if there's any correlation between journalists all over the world Uh, not being able to talk about Palestinians or even interview them openly because it's inconvenient to another power? Or is it just that the journalists are so smart that they know why would they want to talk to those people? Well, I mean, it's a a bit of both, isn't it? Like, I think I think there are there are people who've lost their jobs um, for um, trying to cover the the Palestinian issue in a in a vaguely fair way, uh, there's a there's a reporter here where I am in Philadelphia um, who was a sports reporter uh, who just lost his job with a local media organisation uh, because he posted something on on his social media that um, that that was that was somewhat supportive of the Palestinian cause. Um, so so you know there are there are direct acts of um, uh, of of ending people's contracts um uh you know for, for journalists we know that there are direct instructions coming from various newspapers that um are bullying opinion pieces are um, pro-palestinian at this point um 
and we and we know that you know people who are supportive Palestinian cause, especially actually in Europe, are um, uh, at risk of being visited by the police, right? And so it's all of that. But then there's also just I think you know for a lot of for a lot of um, liberals in elite positions in newspapers in government organisations and so on that there's just a sincere belief that that their values align with the values of of um of israel that the, and that the palestinians are seen as um barbaric and and therefore you know there's an there's an alignment between that kind of elite narrative in the united states and and his narrative how it how it thinks of the palestinians that's part of it as well it's not simply coercion but there's a kind of ideological affinity um between the colonialists in in Israel and um, our own political leaders here in the United States. Harry Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, rethinkingheroes.com. In a moment, we're going to ask Aaron Kundani to talk about the suppression of pro-Palestinian speech and the upsurge of anti-Muslim sentiment that we're seeing all over the country. We're also seeing uh, anti-Jewish sentiment. So it's possibly balanced hard to know because we're not getting proper reportage but we do know the anger is boomeranging back here in the u.s so i'm going to ask you all to hang on for just a second as we continue here on rethinking heroes listen well it's still legal rethinking heroes with carrie harrison rethinkingheroes.com if you're a diabetic we have great news you can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you use insulin or have had hypoglycemic events, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-413-6441. 800-413-6441. 800 That's 800-413-6441. Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more, you're making the same or less money. So, what do you do? You rack up credit card debt, that's what you do. It's not your fault, it's the economy. And guess what? If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the Zero Debt. They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-463-2913. 800-463-2913. 800-463-2913. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. All right, Carrie Harrison with you. We're talking right now to Aaron Kudnani. He is an expert in uh, this kind of conversation because we're not able to understand what is the point or what is the beef of Palestinians. And since we're not allowed to hear them interviewed or they're uh, specifically and conspicuously avoided being interviewed by people in the general media because they will get fired, as we just heard, like a sports reporter, it is very tricky space 
Mr. Kunani has written for The Nation, The Guardian, The Washington Post, Vice, and The Intercept, former editor of the journal Race and Class, holds a PhD from London Metropolitan University, been a scholar in residence at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture and New York Public Library. And we were talking a little bit about the blowback we're now seeing here on U.S. soil, anti-Muslim, this and that, because we're getting pretty much a one-sided story. And if I were Mildred, and I didn't know any better, and all I watched was the TV set, I'd probably be pretty terrified of these invisible people, too, whom uh, I er, hear are referred to by the leadership of Israel as animals, like barnyard animals. That's pretty frightening sounding. Right, right, exactly. And so, I mean, that is the language that you use to dehumanize people that you are uh, planning to uh, uh, deploy violence against, right? So we've seen this many times before. And... um, you have that that kind of language coming from the Israeli political leadership, then being endorsed effectively by the U.S. president, right? Who doesn't who doesn't say um, that we are going to halt the the funding and the military support for Israel until we can be reassured be killing large numbers of civilians? That isn't the response. Um, uh, instead of that, they give they give free reign, and so in that situation, um, it's it's entirely unsurprising that people in the United States uh, uh, then believe that that there is a dangerous threat in the United States as well. Things like all kinds of, um, uh, old, you know, things that we saw after 9-11 in the war on terror, uh, those old those old kinds of Islamophobic um, notions. We had this notion of the day of jihad last Friday um, and, and people have been killed, right? Um, in, in acts of violence that, that the person who who killed the six-year-old kid in Illinois um, a few days ago um, stabbed a six-year-old child. Um, I think it was 15, 20 times. Right. So that's that, that's not just killing someone. That is um, uh, a person filled with for, for someone who's just their, their actually their tenant, someone living in 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 their own community. Right. So what is what is how how do we explain that? The only way to explain that is to um, link it to the dehumanization has been endorsed um, by um, by by President Biden, by the, the the all the voices on our on our major me- news organizations right now. So let's uh, wrap up this conversation. I really appreciate your being with us right now, Aaron Kundani. Uh, let's talk about the plot of the play as you see it, from where you stand with all your research and your uh, learned position. Why is Israel so like terrifically um, uh, bilious about Palestine? I mean, after all, the Balfour Declaration, uh, 1947, 48, uh, they went in, they were given permission to occupy, displace, and then they made an agreement at that point to allow the Palestinians that were displaced to sort of, you know, refabricate into society and, and go back to where they were thought they were supposed to be it kind of never happened that way why are the israelis like have such an allergy against the palestinians well i the you know the zionist zionist project is a is a project that has at its core the idea of um uh, of settling jews in in our and so um it's natural a violent conflict springs up um between uh, Zionist settlers and the and the people whose land they're they're trying to occupy, right? And and of course, 
um, the settlements have continued right through this process, right? Um, uh, and, and the settlements, you know, the, the um, this particular um, developments over the last week or two is has an intensity to it because it shatters the myth, right? The myth in Israel was that um, if if they built a wall um, across the West Bank and if they um, uh, situation in Gaza where uh, people were were penned into a to a kind of um, uh, starvation ghetto um, uh, uh, without access to any any resources, and if the West Bank was was policed on on the behalf of Israel, that that, that would be a stable situation, be a status quo. They could talk the rhetoric of some kind of long term, you know, distant in the future peace process, but basically that would be a stable status quo that Israel could continue like that indefinitely, and people in Israel could get on with their lives without having to worry about the Palestinians. And what's happened in the last two weeks is that the Palestinians have demonstrated that um, that, that they haven't been erased, and that and that this is not but settlements do settle the issue, right? And so um, that is why there is a rage against them for, for effectively confronting Israel with with the inconvenient truth of their existence. Um, and and in the end, you know, we need if we're going to have peace, we're going to need a just settlement um, to that fundamental issue of of whose land is this, is it um, uh, addressed, and how we're going to have um, people living together in a in a situation where um, everyone has equal rights in that territory of Israel and Palestine. Um, and and um, Israel is not interested in actually engaging in that process at the moment. Well, it seems the UK and certainly the United States, which luxuriously redraws its voting districts without any problem whatsoever, redesigning the map could redesign that map too and make it more fair so that there would be a little less upset. But you'd have to want that. And why you don't want that is really at the core of the issue here. I want to thank you very much, Aaron Kunani, written for The Nation, The Guardian, Washington Post, Vice, The Intercept, former editor of the journal Race and Class, holding a Ph.D. from London Metropolitan University, a scholar in residence at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture at New York Public Library. I do want to thank you so much for joining us today here on Rethinking Heroes. Thank you so much. Coming up, we're going to go even deeper and get yet a different angle so that you are well armed with the knowledge that you crave so that you're not sitting watching TV and wondering, oh, my God, oh, my God. You may still say that, but you're going to have some reference points now. And all of this was sparked by simply being uh, hopeful yesterday uh, to set up a, a short interview from Gaza Strip today with a reporter. And that would have been that we would have done other parts of the show, but he has gone missing. We got a WhatsApp from him saying that his building had been bombed with no warning, uh, that he's scrambling out of there, crawling out of there. And then in the last 24 hours, we have uh, attempted phone calls, WhatsApps, every possible way to reach him. He has gone dark. He is not uh, showing that his phone is connected anymore. We've heard nothing from him, have requested to please 
have him let us know that he's okay. We don't know if he's alive or not. Uh, and this is the reality. So based on that, we decided to bring on people to help us understand what is going on from a side that is not represented in mainstream media at the moment. So that is the commitment. We're going to continue in just a sec here on Rethinking Heroes. Listen, well, it's still legal. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. If you're a diabetic, we have great news. You can end the painful finger sticks with a new CGM. Plus, they may be covered by Medicare, Medicaid, or private insurance. If you use insulin or have had hypoglycemic events, you may qualify. Call U.S. Med now to learn more. 800-413-6441. 800-413-6441. That's 800-413-6441. Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more. You are making the same or less money. So what do you do? You rack up credit card debt. That's what you do. It's not your fault. It's the economy. And guess what? If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the Zero Debt. They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-463-2913. 800-463-2913. That's 800-463-2913. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Are you paying too much for term life insurance? There's a tremendous price war among the major term life companies. Rates have dropped dramatically in the past few years. For example, a man age 45 non-tobacco user. $1 million of coverage is only $75 per month, level for the next 10 years. Or a man age 50 non-tobacco user can buy a half million dollars of coverage for a monthly premium of only $110. Guaranteed not to change for the next 20 years. That's right, level rates for 20 years. And if you're a smoker, we have great rates for you as well. At the Term Lifeline, we specialize in policies of a half million dollars and above. So if you're looking for new or replacement term life insurance, call right now for a free quote. Rates and availability may vary by state. Sample rate quotes are based on preferred non-tobacco underwriting exam required to qualify. 855-525-7448. 855-525-7448. 855-525-7448. That's 855-525-7448. How would you like to get high-speed internet for your home for less than $2 a day? That's right. For about 50 bucks a month, you'll get lightning-fast internet. Are you paying less than 50 bucks a month right now for your internet? Then call Whole Home Connect right now for blazing-fast internet at 50 bucks a month with no price increases, no hidden fees, no contracts, no upfront costs, no equipment fees. It's a great deal. And guess what? You can try it for 15 days. 
If you don't like it, you get your money back. But you're going to love it. And you're going to love the price. Internet for your home for 50 bucks a month. That's less than 2 bucks a day. Plus, no contracts, no upfront costs, no equipment fees. And our 15-day guarantee. Call now. 800-846-2124. 800-846-2124. 800-846-2124. That's 800-846-2124. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. Life after the military. RethinkingHeroes.com. Copyright Audiences United, LLC. All rights reserved.